You're listening to the Around the Crease podcast, the show that brings you news from the world of boys high school across with your host, Mike Loveday. This is episode 88, where we're talking about playoffs. What's going on, everybody? This week, we are talking about playoffs. I know the season has yet to begin for a lot of you, um, and only just started for some of you. But, you know, one of those things, it was uh, as I was doing the season previews on the website, it came to my attention that both Indiana and Florida are trying something new in their playoff systems this year. They're both going to two divisions. So, just so happened that I was able to get Charlie Berry, who's the IHSLA president, and you, my yearly podcast guest, Lee Roggenberg from FloridaLacrosseNews.com to kind of talk about the playoff system in each of those states. They're super interesting conversations. If you want to know, I'm doing the interview with Charlie Berry first and then the interview with Lee Roggenberg second. Uh, so you guys can skip ahead uh, if you so choose and only care about your state. But I really think both conversations are interesting and it really is fascinating to me to see how each area kind of came upon the decision that, you know, now was the time to start doing a two-division layout, and kind of the general feeling uh, among the uh, constituents on you know whether it's a good idea or not. So I hope you guys enjoy this week's podcast. Why don't I start out, like, why don't we get a little bit, a bit of background, like, what's kind of the history of lacrosse in Indiana just in general in the IHS? LA. Yeah, so we are an association, so we're not tied to the to the high school athletic association. Uh, we operate independently um, from what typically governs all the other high schools in every other sport in Indiana. Um, there are forty six varsity teams. And there's two brackets of twenty three. We have a number of club teams as well. Club teams are allowed to have three schools that kind of feed into it. Uh, but we have a number of schools now that uh, that have varsity programs, and we add about one to two varsity programs a year. Uh, so it's, it's growing at a, at, a, at a fairly steady rate. Yeah, I mean, it sounds like it. So, um, you know, how have you guys traditionally done your your playoff system? Traditionally, it's been it's been a one class system. Um, it was when I when I played here in Indiana, the top eight teams went, then it became twelve, then it was sixteen. And um, it was really kind of a challenging gauntlet because you'd have a school of 5,000 um, competing with a, with a lacrosse program of over 100 kids competing with a, a school of, you know, 800 with a lacrosse program of about, you know, 60. And everybody's just kind of fighting tooth and nail um, based on your seedings and then how it kind of goes out. So it's been a one-class system. Uh, we would take the top 16 um, based on – you know, the old lax numbers or lax power ratings. Now we're going to use lax numbers because it's, it's roughly the same math. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we would just kind of seed it out. It was, it was kind of like, you know, basketball, just one big bracket going after it. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, I guess, you know, looking back at your guys' history, I mean, Carmel and, and Cathedral have pretty well dominated the, the title game for, for many, many years. I think it was, a, was it two years ago. Um, when neither of them made the championship game, but then obviously Cathedral back in it, back in it last year. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, that was, uh, that, that was, that was fun. So, I mean, then, then there was Culver. So before coach Posner took the Culver military Academy before the, he took that prep team and made it a, um, what it is today. I mean, they, they competed in our state championship and I think it was St. Joe and, and Culver before the Carmel Cathedral started there. That was, that was the last two teams to play in it, but 
those two teams, Carmel and Cathedral, you know, great, respectable programs. They had two really great head coaches. Andy Gruber does a really good job at Cathedral. Um, and uh, so it's just, I mean, that was like eight years. So think about it. You could have been in first grade and only had two state, you know, titles, you know, and if you wanted to win a state champion, you had two schools to go to. But it was nice to see HSD kind of break in there, Hamilton Southeastern break in there and kind of and kind of throw everybody for a loop. So that's, it was good. Yeah, I mean, it, it, it seems to be, honestly, the, the history when I'm looking, you know, I've been doing this for oh, probably longer than I'm willing to admit, but over 10 years now. Uh-huh. Um, and it just seems kind of like, you know, you, that's kind of when you start to know that the, the sport in certain states are growing when, when you get the other teams. I mean, in Florida for, for many years, I mean, it was basically just St. Andrews. Uh-huh. Um, and then like Highland Prep and them kind of went, I mean, I'd say back and forth, but they both had strings. But then in the last five years, um, it's a, there's a lot more parity. I think you start to get more parity as the teams, you know. I mean, I think experience and coaching tends to help out a lot. And I see, you know, those coaches that may come in kind of green around the ears to start, you know, after they get a few years under them, like, okay, I got this figured out. And you start to see teams like HSC maybe creep in there. And uh, so it's like, you know, from my perspective, it's great to see uh, the parity because I think it's, it makes it a little bit more fun. You know, maybe not for the Carmels and Cathedrals of the world, but it makes it more fun for everybody else. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, it keeps it interesting to watch. And, and Scott Beasley um, at, at Hamilton Southeastern, you know, he's a really big – he's found a happy medium of, of being a really big kind of a culture guy. He really preaches a, a family aspect up there. But he also really, you know, as a non-traditional coach from a non-traditional area, like most of the guys in Indiana are, I mean, we're kind of journeymen, so we've, we've got to learn and um, and do things on the fly. Um, so it's it's nice. It, it's good. It's good for the state to see somebody else come up in there. And, and it gives kids, too, another option of where they go to school. Unfortunately, athletics now become more and more of a choice of why kids go to a certain high school. And, and now it's starting to happen in lacrosse, which is good. But at the same time, though, you know, when I went to high school, I was like, oh, I, I live in this district. I'm going to go to this high school. That was pretty much it. Now it's like I want my kid to go here to play this sport for this coach and things of that nature. So. Yeah, yeah, that's that. That's a whole other podcast. <laughs> right, right, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, I, mean, I don't think I want to touch that one, at least not today. <laughs> um, but, um, but you know, kind of looking at it, like you know, I, I know I've talked with the guys in Florida about why you know their their um, two tier system was basically they just their state sanction and the state sanctioning system is basically like they're applying their. I mean, honestly, they're applying their model that they use for like football and basketball. Um, to their playoff system, and, you know, that's kind of what's made, you know, a lot of people in Florida relatively unhappy about it. Um, but, you know, what was your guys' decision-making between going two-tier? Sure. So it was it was kind of a, a move of inclusion. We use what our varsity athletic association does for other states, so they it's based on size of schools. But, um, you know, it was an inclusion method. We wanted to feel like more teams had a chance to, to have an opportunity to contribute and, and win. Um, speaking kind of selfishly, you know, my program, I've been at my, my high school for, for six years. Um, and the first year we didn't make it. And once you, once the team starts making the playoffs, you kind of get that momentum going. Well, if we want the, the lacrosse to grow in Indiana, well, let's give teams some, some more chances to make the playoffs. Not necessarily win, but you know, that, that's all it takes, right? You get a, you get a program that's been kind of sitting on the outside. Now they make it. Um, and now they have a chance. You, you pick up that momentum. You get one or two kids that start to come play in, and then the administration starts to pay attention, and so you get more support from the school. So it was a really big inclusion um, aspect of it, too. Uh, in, in our, 
I guess our bylaws and procedures, we had it built in, and, and we just kind of fast-forwarded, I think, two or three years. I think there was a number mm-hmm. that we were looking for, and we were just like, well, we know we're going to do this. Let's just do it now and see what it looks like. And yeah. we're excited to, to try it out. We've got some. We've had some grumblings about how we've done it, but I think everybody does. Um, yeah. and, and I think I think using enrollment is like it's the easiest statistic to go by because it, there's not a lot of interpretation. You know, we've had people, why didn't you do skill or, or why didn't you do playoff success or anything like that? Well, there's there's more things to factor into it, whereas like the number comes from the Department of Education, and and we use that to kind of to judge it, and then we added in a factor of success. So the more successful you are, you do have an opportunity to to move up. So. Yeah. When when you say that, what do you mean the factor of success? How does that work? So in the Indiana Var- the High School Association, the one that governs all the other sports, what they do is for every playoff win, you get a point. And once you maintain a certain point level, you're allowed to, to move up, right? So I'll use football, for example. In Indiana, there's six classes of football. If you're a 5A school and you go to – and I don't know the rules exactly because I, you know, I don't coach football. I'm sorry. Um, but once you get a certain amount of points, you move up. So let's say it's, I think it's six points. And then once you maintain, then you have to maintain those points over a two-year factor. So for lacrosse, which I can't speak to, um, if a 1A team and 1A is the smallest bracket, if over a two-year rolling period you earn seven points, so that would be you win a state title, and then you're like a state runner-up, you'll get moved up to the 2A bracket. Now, to remain in the 2A bracket, which is where the larger schools are at, over a two-year rolling period, you have to have four points. So basically make it to, you know, the final four consistently, or you have a rough year, and then you have a really good year, make it to the championship game and, and lose. So um, we want to reward teams, smaller teams, for being successful and, and – uh, allow them to compete at, 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 at a level that we think they can. Yeah. And I mean, that also sounds like kind of a, a way, cause, I mean, I think, um, I'm, I guess I'm, I have a buddy who covers soccer and I guess I, I relate that to kind of the way the uh, European soccer leagues do some of their, like, you know, if there's a A and B division, like, you know, when you win the B division, you, you get moved up. Like, right. And, right. And it gives, you know, gives you a chance for kind of rewards you for being on top of your game. But it also has kind of the ancillary benefit, like, you know, if you're dominating 1A, like, it will give another team a chance. You know, maybe that runner-up who can't get over the edge, like, it kind of gives them a chance. Like, you know, maybe that 1A team really should be playing in 2A um, to compete. So you kind of give some other teams a chance. I mean, I think you hit on the head. Like, you're always going to get grumblings. I mean, I don't think there's any way to make everybody happy. But <laughs> I mean, it right. sounds like a pretty – as fair as you can make it nowadays, especially with the sports that's growing. But, I mean, it does sound like you guys are kind of taking – multiple factors into account. I kind of like the way you guys are doing it. Yeah, well, that's good to hear. And again, right, you're not going to make everybody happy. Um, and there's, you know, we're excited to see how it works out. But um, again, though, you know, smaller schools, we want it to be kind of hard for them to move up and, and stay up because you have a lot more turnover, I guess, right? So if a, if a school graduates 12 seniors and the next incoming class is, is eight guys, that's a big it's a big yeah. challenge but for these two A schools that are more established and, and, and larger enrollment, larger programs, you know, they'll graduate, you know, 15 seniors, but guess what? They've got 20 incoming freshmen. So it's easier for them to maintain that, that level yeah. uh, of competition. So again, we want to reward programs accordingly. We're not trying to hand out awards and ribbons and, and stuff for just for the award's sake. 
Mm-hmm. You know, these kids have still got to play by the rules that are set in front of them. Um, and we definitely don't. We, we look at it as, you know, like I said, Indiana's got six classes for football. And if you win your class, you're, you're a state champion. There's there's no runner-up. There's no NIT like there is in college basketball. You're, you're a state champion because you won your class. And you played by the rules that you were expected to and, and then the standards that we wanted as, as a state board. Yeah. So um, I guess the, I know people will probably, you know, chastise me if I don't ask, but, you know, I know a lot of states, they, they are looking for the state sanctioning. And you kind of said that you guys are kind of following some of what the uh, Athletic Association is doing. Do you guys have your, your eye on any potential state sanctioning in years to come? Well, you know, yes and no. I think when you become state sanctioned, you, you gain a lot of more bureaucracy and 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 your the sport that we love now it's going to be in the hands of people that probably didn't play it probably never yeah. coached it and so you lose you lose that we use our state body the for the high schools we use that as a model but i think you know if we stay as an association we can we have a lot of flexibility uh, we can kind of negotiate our referees and we can do a lot more things i think it's a benefit right now um for the growth of the game for us to remain an association. But if you drive up a highway in Indiana, um, you know, you'll see a lot more soccer posts and, and, and field goal posts on a football field. You don't see any, any a lot of, uh, a lot of lacrosse goals. Yeah. And until you see a lot of lacrosse goals up and on the highways, like I think it's fine to stay in association. Now I am going to speak to the other side of this. There are some schools that have said that, you know, that that particular school won't accept lacrosse until the state picks it up. Yeah. Well, and I understand that and it's funding and, and everything else, but I still think that um, that's a frustrating thing to hear. I think lacrosse provides a great opportunity for young men to grow and learn about themselves and compete and represent not only them, but the school as well. So it's unfortunate to hear that, but um, there's a lot of flexibility being an association of how yeah. we can play when we practice. We don't have a travel restriction. Uh, we don't have – we have certain dates in which you can compete. But, I mean, if I really wanted to in Indiana, if – you know, let's say our, our state finals is Memorial Day weekend, if I wanted to have a practice that the, the Monday right afterwards and preparing for the 2021 season, I absolutely could. Now, I'd be crazy. Uh, my wife <laughs> would probably leave me if I, if I did that. And, um, but that flexibility allows us the ability to grow at, at the rate that we need to grow. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think Washington kind of went through something similar. I know for a number of years they were, they were trying to get state sanction. And I think a few years ago they, they decided, you know, may, maybe that's not the best route. I mean, I think, like you said, like, I think there's advantages to both, but I think with this sport that's still relatively young in the state, like it, it doesn't really hurt you. I mean, to, I mean, it, I, I wouldn't want to say it doesn't hurt you. I guess depending on your point of view, like you said, there's some schools that may not be picking it up because it's not state sanctioned. But I think there are advantages to, you know, letting the, the sport kind of grow naturally and at its own pace rather than, you know, having a state sanction that tries to fit a model that, you know, like you said, like those people probably didn't play lacrosse. They probably don't understand it. So they're just trying to fit the, the square peg into the round hole, so to speak. Yeah, but I can tell you, as an association, we met with the the girls are unsanctioned as well, and we had uh, a dinner and we met with various athletic directors and principals of other schools, and just to kind of get the ball rolling. But I think the first thing that we need to do as association, as coaches, is let's make sure all the administrators and everybody is on the same page. Let's just let's first make sure that we've got a great relationship between all the groups, 
that way when it does happen, it's kind of seamless, right? And everybody knows what's going on. Um, my school that I, that I coach at, you know, I've got great support from the principal and from the athletic director, and that, that's a big that's a big benefit. And um, I think it's really important that we have that great relationship before we can even look at adopting it. You know, it yeah. makes it easier for for everybody involved. Yeah. Well, I think it's going to be very exciting to to see, you know, how you guys kind of uh, how it plays out this year. I think, you know, for me, like the the more champions, the more teams, the more I think you you probably I would assume you would see some excitement um, among teams that you I don't want to say may not have seen, but like you're going to get another state champion this year. So there's obviously going to be a little bit more excitement among you know at least one other program um, and possibly like you know several other programs because you get another runner up, you know, you get a little bit more playoff. Like I think it's going to be an exciting year. Uh, to see how this plays out. I'm sure you guys are excited, too. I'm sure probably a little apprehension, maybe. You know, first year, I'm sure there will be bugs. But, you know, you can work those out eventually, right? Yeah, I mean, absolutely. I think a lot of teams, a lot of the smaller schools, it's kind of a hard reset for them where um, they can actually kind of like, right, what are we doing here? Because now, you know, you can still play the big schools. We didn't change anything how you schedule. Nothing changed there. So you can still, so small schools can still play big schools. Um, you know, everything like that, but um, it kind of rejuvenates, I think, smaller programs, um, mm-hmm. and it makes the smaller successful programs work that much harder because now it's like, all right, you know, here, here's here we go. So I'm excited yeah. for it. You're right. There's going to be bugs. And, you know, the first year where everybody's kind of collecting their data points and, and, uh, and everything like that, it's going to be – it's going to be rough. It fundamentally – with the two teams, it, it, it split our top 16 teams, I think, like 9 and 7. So it, it split the playoffs kind of in half a little bit. But the new playoff system is it's a 12-team format, so we're only really adding um, eight teams to it in general. Um, and so it, it'll, it'll, it'll be rough, but I think, I think it's for the best. If we want to include more programs, if we want to grow, grow it as a, as a state and, and get the recognition that we need, I think this is, this is the right way to do it. Yeah. All right. Um, well, you know, Charlie, I really appreciate. Cannot thank you uh, enough. Like, if people want to uh, follow what you guys do online, like, is there any place online that they can they can check you guys out and uh, track the playoffs? Yeah. So uh, our our website, we actually just we updated it, launched it the other the other day. That's the other thing I've been working on is uh, ihsla dot com, and then we do that. And that's our Twitter handle too. Um, what is our Twitter handle? I don't, I don't have it in front of me. Uh, let me look here. Sorry. <laughs> I, can, uh, I can find it as well, and I'll make sure yeah, I, I link so there's, to there's, it. There's a Twitter. Um, I guess, as, you know, maybe maybe as the new prez, I can make a um, an Instagram handle too. Let's get on the – do one for the gram, I guess. I don't know. Yeah, there you go. That's right. Everybody's on the gram nowadays, right? <laughs> so, yeah, so there's there's a Twitter out there. There's a, there's a, uh, a, um, a homepage that, that we can go to. And uh, yeah, we're, we're we're super excited. So, all right. Well, I can't cannot thank you enough, and uh, good luck uh, one with your team, and then two with the the play. I know it's a it's a while. Like season hasn't started yet, so playoffs are not a distant memory. But you know, there'll be there'll be a few months. But uh, I'm sure it'll be an exciting season nonetheless to see how this well, all shakes out. In Indiana, you can have your first game two weeks after President's Day. So a lot of schools use President's Day Monday. As as the official start date, so it's 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 here for us. We it's here, so we're excited. Thanks for the time, and you know, always happy to be a resource for you. All right, thanks so much. You have a good one. You as well. All right, bye. Bye.
Um, so, well, yeah, Lee, welcome, uh, welcome back to the podcast, man. It's nice, it's great having you on once again. It's our our annual um, <laughs> podcast, I guess, where we I always have you on at least once, a, you know, once at the beginning of the season. Mike, I, I appreciate being uh, on again this year. Uh, we are certainly we're ready to start tomorrow. Actually, is the first uh, day of games. The practice has been going on for about three weeks now, and you know we're certainly looking forward to it. Yeah, it's it's exciting. I know uh, Georgia has started uh, last week, so it's kind of you know for me it's like the season is already uh, a few like a few games in, so it's pretty exciting. Uh, Florida all kicks off, and that really seems to that's when the snowball really starts to roll roll for me. So uh, um, we're here to kind of talk about the playoffs. Like I talked to with a guy um, earlier in the podcast about the Indiana playoffs because they're going to a two class system. They're doing one A and two A for the first time in their state's history this year, and you know obviously. You guys are kind of going through the same thing, um, but before we kind of get to what you guys are doing this year, why don't we just kind of let people know what how has Florida traditionally handled their playoff system? So, yeah, you know, traditionally we have had one class with 32 districts. That's been in place uh, for a while now, as the number of teams grew. If you go back 10, 15 years, it might have been a little bit less because we didn't have as many high schools playing. Uh, basically, a district championship would be held in each district, top four teams, one versus four, two versus three, and the winner of the district would go on to the, what I would call the FHSAA brackets, yeah. and they were divided into four quadrants, one through eight, nine through 16, 17 through 24, and 25 through 32, and uh, we would just kind of uh, play the adjacent uh, district to you, and they would try to swap uh, home and away back and forth with surviving teams going forward until we had a final four at a central location. Yeah, and I think, uh, so how how are they, like, well, I guess one, I know um, we probably covered it in an earlier podcast, but just kind of refreshed because it's been a while. <laughs> and it's, uh, the last season feels like uh, way longer than a year ago at this point in time for me anyway. Um, but why did Florida decide that now is the time to go to uh, Class 2A and Class 1A? I, I hate to put it this bluntly, but I think it was just purely mechanical. I believe that, in general, when the state believes it can get 100 teams in each class, they immediately add the class. We were a little bit under 200 schools last season, slightly under it. And, uh, and sometimes they run on two-year cycles and they're planning. But uh, this year they decided, okay, we're, we're over 200 schools, and now we're going to introduce this. And uh, that's pretty much how it was. And, yeah, yeah. I kind of mentioned another podcast. Uh, the, the amount of uh, impact that the sport has at the state level is still pretty minimal. So it's not something where they could have maybe sat there and said, okay, the competitive nature of it is such that maybe we should wait until there's more schools playing, maybe a better mix, but they I hate to just only put it, but it was a purely mechanical decision. Yeah. Um, and, you know, I, I want to I end on a higher note. So, first off, like, what is the, is, you know, one, what is your opinion? Like, do you think it's, it's good for the sport right now? So do you think yeah, it's time, or do you? I, I thought we needed to mature as a sport a little bit more in the state, maybe get up to 250 schools, close to 300 before I thought it would work out. Uh, there are some definite unintended consequences that have popped up, partly because of the size of the state. And one of the things you and I had 
discussed on previous podcasts is that uh, for top teams uh, in this state, some of them have to do an awful lot of travel to play a competitive schedule. Yeah. And uh, we certainly, that's one of the unintended consequences of the break that uh, we're going to have to sort of get used to. Uh, one of the things I noted was in the very first district in Class 2A, which is the larger schools, which is up in the Panhandle area, uh, that district goes from Niceville to Forest which is in Ocala, and that's 330 miles apart. That's a district game that someone has to travel. And to put that in the perspective, Mike, I'm in Boca Raton. I would get to Jacksonville quicker than these two schools having to go to visit each other. That's yeah. just to give you an idea of how this is. You know, another unintended consequence about this is that no high school bid to hold the state championships. That was a traditional thing in the past where you have boys and girls at the same site. Uh, they've managed to pick out Austin Tyndall Park and Kissimmee as the site of the Final Four. They're listing it as just a two-day event, Friday and Saturday. But now with the two classes and the boys and the girls, we're talking about 12 games. Yeah. And you know, 12 games in two days is ambitious unless you are going to use more than one field in the semifinals. And it kind of takes away the the feel of the specialness of a Final yeah. Four event. Yeah, if you have two so, going on at the same time. Yeah. Now, from the if I could make one positive case, uh, as I kind of looked through what the Class Two A tournament might look like, the Class One A tournament, Class One A, which is the smaller schools, looks awfully familiar because the only really big names that ended up in the Two-way, Rabana Vidra, maybe Lake Mary, uh, a plant, a Jupiter, a St. Thomas, a Boca, uh, a couple of others that are you know well-known also. But you know there's also groupings of teams within a district, so that uh, there's going to be a couple of unusual Final Fours in the Class Two A, and certainly uh, regional finals are what we would consider the quarterfinals is going to be some matchups of teams that have not had a chance to uh, get there before. But when you look at 1A, uh, and I kind of uh, did this out in my mind, you, you could almost make a case that this could have happened last year, too. Yeah. So <laughs> there's uh, from that benefit, you're going to see some teams getting a playoff shot that just haven't had the chance to do that in the past because they were just in too tough a district. Yeah. I mean, I'm looking uh, just kind of, you know, a quick quick Google search kind of tells you, like, I'm looking at the, the last few champions, uh, you know, not not all of them, but, you know, I'm looking basically the difference between Ponte Vedra and a school like Jupiter or down at Boca Raton. I mean, we're talking like three and a half, four hours. So, I mean, not really an easy drive on a, you know, a Friday night after school, um, you know, or Friday afternoon for these teams to kind of play. So, this is like, obviously, when you go down to St. Thomas Aquinas down to Fort Lauderdale, it's a little bit even more of a drive. So, yeah, for anybody to get the, the scope of, you know, just kind of looking at even the last few years, I mean, obviously Orlando, Lake Highland Prep, a little bit kind of in between, but then you got the Tampa area, which is, you know, on the complete opposite side of the state as well. Like Florida's got, you guys got a lot of space to cover, um, and there's a lot of teams. Yeah, it's uh, it's certainly that. Um, I, I think, Mike, that we'll just have to see. Uh, it's yeah. just a lot, a lot of times it comes down to the 
awareness in the community. One of the things that uh, has kind of happened that's, that's sort of nice in when I look at the entire state is that high school lacrosse is getting a little bit more coverage in the high school online newspapers, et cetera. We have more uh, Florida sources for information now mm -hmm. uh, as far as uh, where you can go, as, even on the girls' side, which uh, I'm certainly pleased to see because I've always felt a little guilty about not being able to give more time on the girls' side, too. Uh, and then when, when you look at how the kids in the state are performing at the next level, just put my D1 list together, and we're up to 75 kids. And that's uh, at the D1 level on the men's side. That's, that's a pretty hefty number. That might very well be the highest we've ever been. And we have a number of D1 commits that are graduating this year and next year already, and not a lot of seniors at the college level. So next year's number is going to take another jump up from there. And so when you you kind of look at it, the interest in what's going on at the high school level has been growing down here. It's, it's broadening out. It's broadening around the state. I had a, uh, a person who had asked me, you know, I'm thinking about moving to Florida. Where should I go if I want to you know, start youth programs and clinics and things like that? And I basically said I would look at Pensacola only because that's an area that's growing fairly rapidly with youth, but is still sort of not thought of by people out of the state as a, an area that could be growing. Yeah. And yeah. I couldn't say that three or four years ago. And same thing when you look at the Gulf Coast, that whole Tampa to, uh, I guess it's uh, Tampa, Sarasota, Bradenton, a little bit further south, uh, that area has really filled in nicely. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you and I, over the years, have talked about Orlando, and we've talked about the southeast, and really the Treasure Coast is probably the next area that needs to fill in. And then we'll have pretty much an entire state covered you know, where population centers are, where kids are playing at the youth level and moving on. Yeah. Yeah, I think there's there's no doubt Florida can overwhelm a lot of the other states. You know, just I mean, you just, I, I always look at you know football talent and stuff like that because there's a lot of correlation um, just between the kind of athletes and obviously Florida produces. I think at one point they said Florida produces more NFL players than any other state. Um, yeah, and I think there's an area down in South Florida that has more than you know a lot. You know, some states in general. Um, but you know, I think there's there's you know once that kind of coaching catches up and everything, like obviously Florida. Florida, there's there's no doubt for the amount of talent. Um, but kind of looking at the, the playoff system, um, what do you think? So you said there was some unattended consequences for uh, what's happening, obviously travel and some of that stuff. But, like, how do you see it? Like, are there, do you think there's any advantages to, to doing the two-class system now? Well, if some of these programs that have been sort of, you know, let's say it's out of 200 schools, maybe those ranked. 40th to 60th, who almost never have sniffed a first-round playoff win. Mm -hmm. uh, now, all of a sudden, I'm seeing a couple of these things where, uh, just to give you an idea, in class two, I was going, before we talked, I was just going through class two-A, how could I predict uh, the 16 districts in two-A and how they would play out? And it looks to me like uh, you're going
you're going to see of those 16 teams, probably five of the names that I just kind of highlighted as that 40 to 60, maybe 30 to 60 if you stretch it out a little bit. More. But, you know, the, the nice thing is, is that if you're 30th, 40th in the state, you're doing something right, but you never got rewarded for it. Now, all of a sudden, you're going to see maybe a first-round home game, maybe a final eight game because two of these teams are in the same area. You know, for instance, I'm looking at a first-round matchup potentially between Vieira, which is on the Treasure Coast, and Olympia in the Orlando area. That's a quite possible first-round matchup in 2A. And the winner would play either maybe Winter Park or Boone. Yeah. And then at nine, Wiregrass Ranch might be a playoff team. Uh, you know, that, that's the interesting thing. Buholz, which is no longer in Oak Falls District because they're in different classes now. You know, that's, Buholz now has a shot, I think, and a good one at getting there. And whoever comes out of Class 2A in the Panhandle area, uh, to play Fleming Island is, is in all like Fleming Island has moved away from Bonavidra. They're in two A, but are on a different side. So, uh, you know, these are the types of teams that have shown something in the past, but never really had a chance to get too far. Now yeah. Fleming Island looks to me to be a great bet for a final eight in two A uh, in the South. Um, I'm, I'm sorry. Yeah, in the South, it, it doesn't play out all that much differently. Jupiter versus Boca Raton, St. Thomas versus Columbus are likely first-round matchups to me. But you know, in, in two A, uh, it's it's a it's a two-person this year. It's Jupiter versus Ponte Vedra unless a meteor hits the Earth. <laughs> uh, you can't. I can't see it either way. Uh, yeah. The next best teams, St. Thomas, which is going to have struggle scoring. Plant, nice program, but it, it, it's not either of those two. Maybe a, a Newsom, a Riverview, Sarasota, Gulf Coast. Uh, these are teams that are going to get a, uh, a likely play, you know, playoff snap. But then you go down to 1A, and most of the top programs are still there. It could very well be the first-round winners are a McClay, a Lake Highland, a Tampa Jesuit, a St. Andrews, a Cardinal Mooney, a Benjamin, you know, Cole, Gulliver, you know, that that could very well be your first-round winners. And those are names everyone who's followed the state knows already. Yeah. So the big difference is going to be the big schools, which is kind of a little different from, say, New York, where a lot of times the bigger public, you know, we've discussed before, you know, there are three really high-end private programs in the state of New York and all the rest of the powerhouses are public schools. Yeah. So who knows? Maybe if you're a Vieira, if you're an Olympia, if you're a Wiregrass Ranch, if you're a, a Boone, and you see all of a sudden some success in the sport in the playoffs, that might well drive the program higher and the interest higher because it has never been in Florida about size. It's always been about feeder programs. 
Yeah. And maybe these feeder programs start to evolve a little differently if these bigger public schools start to see more success. Yeah. I mean, I think, the, well, I mean, for sure, well, I guess it's, it's possible that we could have a new, you know, one, one state champion has never raised a trophy at the end of the season um, this year. But, you know, obviously I think there will be some teams getting into the playoffs that, like you said, either maybe haven't been there before or maybe just get a few teams that just haven't made it as far now have a little bit of a shot at getting to like a, a Sweet 16 or an Elite Eight or, you know, or beyond. So, I mean, yeah, I'm sure there's going to be growing pains. <laughs> it's kind of like when I was talking with the guy from Indiana, he's like, you know, we all get, you know, first year of anything, you kind of figure there'll be growing pains. I mean, I think the advantage Indiana has is they're not state-sanctioned. So, I think they can be a little bit more flexible um, because they're applying it to, you know, specifically to lacrosse. I mean, I guess Florida, your disadvantage is if it, whatever growing pains you guys kind of experience this year, just going to kind of have to deal with them, I guess, because I doubt the state association is going to be able to be that flexible. Usually those things don't move fast enough to adapt. So, you know, whatever growing pains you guys experience will probably just be there until um, it matures. Now, Mike, I can give you some interesting uh, possible future evolutions of this, too. Uh, if you look at it purely from Gainesville's point of view, I think that they're hoping at some point future to go beyond just district winner. Yeah. And maybe if you get the 32 teams in each of the two classes with at-large bids based on Max Prep's power rankings, uh, that's a possibility. But there's also a possibility that uh, if this doesn't work as expected, that there'll be a little bit of revolt, potentially. I'm hearing some interesting rumors about uh, the possibilities of certain schools banding together and having their own informal championship that would uh, not necessarily include uh, fealty, for lack of a better term, to a district system. Yeah. Maybe more of a regional system. But again, that's just, uh, that's purely speculative at this point. Uh, but I'm certainly hearing that. There, there might certainly be some pushback on this in a different format than we're used to seeing. And part of that might very well be for how some of these districts were aligned. A couple of them are just, I hate to put it this bluntly, but brutally bad, uh, where maybe the, the top team was like 90th ranked in the state in last year's max preps. Yeah. But then you look at something like what's going on down here, in 1A in my area, where you have Oxbridge, St. Andrews, King's Academy, St. John Paul, all in the same district. That's three, very possibly, if I was still doing my state rankings going into the year for one class, that would be three of my top ten teams. Yeah. And so uh, yeah, that's, uh, that's pretty uh, difficult. You know, we've always talked about that. Uh, the group of debt at, at the playoff level in the southeast. Now we're getting it in the district playoff. Yeah. And there are other there's other uh, brackets like this. You know, it's a Haggerty got moved in with Lake Mary, Lake Brantley, Oviedo is uh, coming up, and that that's a very tough district. And there's there's a couple of others that uh, off the top of my head I can't just pull out. But so in effect, we're going to give some credence to lesser programs and we're going to in 
some pretty ridiculous district tournaments before they even get there. And yeah. the other unintended consequence is I no longer can use the term best damn district final in Florida, period. <laughs> because Jupiter and Benjamin are in different classes. So they cannot play district and they can't play in the playoffs. They can only play the regular season matchup. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, so, I think there's, there's, I mean, I think St. Andrews and Oxford are probably the teams that most people outside of Florida would probably recognize. Obviously, St. Andrews is a traditional historical power and Oxford, most people know because of uh, Christian Tomei <laughs> from, from last year. Um, but, you know, it, it, you know, for the last few years, it'd be really interesting to see because the winner of that district went on and the loser stayed home. But, you know, from my perspective, it'd be really interesting to see. It's like, all right, if you take those two finalists and put them in the playoffs and then see where it goes, um, could really shake things up because, I mean, to your point, like there's some there's some district winners that probably, I don't want to say didn't deserve to be in the playoffs, but, you know, weren't as good as like an Oxbridge or St. Andrews. And they go to the state playoffs and other than home. I mean, I think the, uh, to bring it back to Illinois where I'm recording this from, I mean, most people pretty much figured that Loyola Academy Nutria game in the district final, the region district final last year um, was basically the state championship game because for many, many years that was the state championship game. And now those two teams are in a district um, and they play for the final and no winner goes on and the loser stays home. Um, so, I mean, I think you guys are kind of, I think they're pretty similar to, to that um, as well. So it's going to be interesting to see. I mean, but you guys have had the districts for many years now. Um, it's just a difference in class. So it'd be interesting if they change it in some fashion to kind of allow for that, I guess, disparity. Um, I don't know if that's the word, the right word to use, but uh, disparity, like, you know, some, some districts are just going to have a few better teams and teams that may warrant, like maybe two teams should come out of those districts rather than just the one. Well, you know, it's, it's uh, one of the more unusual uh, proposals that Gainesville had on the table a year ago was to look potentially at a 32-team super class that would uh, have been the top teams in the state and then maybe the next 100 or so or whatever was maybe less than that and then a bigger class C where then you could have some of the weaker programs actually competing for a state championship. I'm glad, certainly glad they tabled that one because uh, I don't see why the 100th ranked team in the state should be raising a championship regardless of uh, any – that that sounds to me almost like your typical participation trophy approach. <laughs> and uh, this we don't need that in this sport. Yeah. This sport I mean, is going to grow on its own, by the way. Yeah. I can kind of see that 32. I mean, I think on face value it, it sounds appealing because, I mean, most people think of March Madness in the round of like a 65 now. But, I mean, I think that's fine for a college. But when you're talking about high school sports, I mean, it'd, it'd be very tricky to see because, you know, you could see a, um, a Ponte Vedra and a St. Thomas Aquinas, you know, potentially, you know, not to say those would meet in the first round, but, I mean, depending on how some things shake out some years, I mean, that'd be a tough first-round meeting for one of those teams to have to travel to the other one for a, uh, a playoff game if you just seeded the top 32 and, you know, one played 32 and they're all, so on and so forth. 
Well, there's there's going to still be some you know, travel issues in uh, the first uh, round. It looks like you know, kind of looking through a little bit of this, and uh, there's a good possibility that Oak Hall and Gainesville is hosting Gulf Breeze or the other way around. That's a pretty hefty trip. Uh, you're looking at maybe in you know, the first round of uh, let's see, I'm kind of going through here. Uh, Cardinal Moody, Baron Colliers, a couple of hours. Uh, uh, Melbourne Central, Benjamin, that's not terrible. It's probably about an hour and uh, 20 minutes, something like that. Um, Jupiter Pope is no problem. St. Thomas Columbus, no problem. Newsom versus uh, Gulf Coast or Riviera or Riverside, Sarasota. Gulf Coast, Newsom, that's a long trip. Yeah. That's a possible first-round matchup. Um, so, you know, they haven't gotten away. And then the, the, the regional finals could be some really lengthy, uh, some pretty decent uh, traveling, too. So, but, uh, you know, it's as you said, we're going to have to play it out for the year, see what happens, see if uh, some of these uh, evolutions, come aboard or are going to be tried. Um, one of the things I think that games will need to pay a little bit of attention to is that they don't listen very well out here in the, uh, the outside of you know their particular expertise. It's not a huge level of expertise in games on the sport. We had, uh, if I can mention, we had a snafu on the girls' side where the Cascade helmet that all the girls were forced to buy. Remember, we're still, I think, if not the only state, one of only a couple that still enforce the girls' headgear rule. And so all the gear that the girls were playing with uh, did did not pass muster this year, and they didn't let the kids know until about a month before the season. And the edict went out, you have to buy another headgear. That's pretty expensive. Yeah. <laughs> And if this was something they've known for a while, then it kind of comes calls into play why they did this to begin with. One thing that I'm trying to do that I've not gotten a good response on yet is how effective is this headgear? Did concussions go down or not? And if concussions did not go down, what is the point? And if well, you're listening out there, if anyone out there in Denver at the RIO is listening, I have left messages out there asking for updated statistics on girls lacrosse in the state of Florida with concussion. If you're listening, I'm still waiting for answers. <laughs> and if, you, if you're not willing to give answers, then there must be a reason. Yeah. And it's not solely private. Yeah. And if it's not solely privacy, then there's a lot of explaining to do about the powers that be that made this decision. Yeah. All right. Well, um, I'm going to move you back to the, the the playoff thing because, as usual, I usually ask you for your for your predictions um, year in year out. Um, you've been pretty good. Like I think you, uh, you know, I think last year, obviously you got it, you got it right. I think we, most people would predict the Tonavidra. Are you comfortable making some picks for this year? I can, 
you know, I'm, I'm just kind of doing the district previews now. I can give a, uh, a first uh, glance at it. 2A is much easier than 1A this year. Uh, as I mentioned before, it's kind of easier in Jupiter. And again, I'm assuming that we're kind of back on the uh, 1 to 8 versus 9 to 16 in the finals type half. Last year, we kind of had it a little bit off where Jupiter and Pontevedra played in the semis instead of uh, a final matchup. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, in that case, uh, Pontevedra, I think, will uh, beat Jupiter again. Uh, Jupiter's lost a little bit more than Pontevedra did this year. Uh, Jupiter's Dylan Frankhauser's off in Air Force. Uh, Bogo needs to be replaced, although their backup Bogo last year was pretty good, too. But Pontevedra just is... Uh, yeah, Dylan has his out for a little bit, uh, recovering from an injury. Uh, will, from what I understand, certainly will be back uh, to play this year. And you look at that, you've got so many D1 recruits. I think he withhast the entire starting midfield with a D1 recruit yeah. midfield. And then you just uh, go up and down uh, there. Uh, Jupiter will will be very solid. They've been deep. They've been next man up uh, for quite a while now. And uh, no reason why they shouldn't get back there. Uh, St. Thomas probably plays them in the second round. And then I, I see the final four right now. is Pontevedra playing uh, Winter Park and Jupiter playing Plant uh, from Tampa. That kind of looks like the most likely path uh, at this point. And then you look uh, down in 1A and, uh, you know, Bishop Moore and Lake Island are back in the same district. I think Lake Island uh, turns the tables on them this year. McClay up in the northeast looks like it's going to be too much of a Gulf breeze. Uh, Then we're going to have Oak Hall over Bowles in the first round. Benjamin uh, has got this laid out pretty well for them, I think. Uh, they get Melbourne Central Catholic in round one. Uh, then in the bottom half, Tampa Jesuit winning their first round. Uh, Cardinal Mooney winning theirs. I'll pick St. Andrews to come out of the district, but I can tell you injuries could be a really important part of that district this year. Yeah. They're they're good. Team. Oxford is not uh, as deep. They lost a lot of talent. Uh, I don't think they're quite. Uh, you know, last year they were really a solid team. Yeah. And played together beautifully. I think there's going to be some pains there, growing pains there. Kings has been coming on very strong. Wouldn't surprise me if it came down on the semifinals that Kings knocks Oxford off and gets to play St. Andrews in the finals. Last year that was a one-goal game when they played in the regular season. Uh, then I see American Heritage Plantation uh, over Calvary Christian and Pinecrest, which is a pretty good bracket, and Gulliver uh, playing Berlin in the first round. So you know, these, these are all solid first-round games except for Tampa Jesuit, which will have an easy time with whoever comes out of 10. And yeah. then kind of, I, I see a Final Four this year of Lake Highland, Benjamin, St. Andrews, and Cardinal Mooney. And St. Andrews, Cardinal Mooney in the semifinals is going to be so intriguing. Uh, although MJ McMahon is off to Utah, IMG transfer Drew Snyder, who I think is still a Syracuse commit, uh, 
uh, transferred to Cardinal Mooney this year. Yeah. So now we're talking about a really heavyweight semifinal. And uh, who knows? This is a much longer trip in the semis for St. Andrews than for Cardinal Mooney. In the last, you know, last two years, Cardinal Mooney has had to travel to Jupiter for a regional final. That's three and a half, four hours. Yeah. Now they're only going about an hour and a half or so. Yeah. Uh, and St. Andrews has got to go three hours. So it would not surprise me if Cardinal Mooney ended up winning that game. But that's going to that's be an incredible semifinal game. And then you know, the winner of that, uh, I think, will be playing Benjamin for the championship. So, uh, and I think that either of those will defeat Benjamin for the championship. So the possibility that Cardinal Mooney and Ponte will be your state champions this year. Yeah, and it's kind of obviously Ponte they've they've been in the final four a number of times. Like obviously, last year got it went through uh, first time getting all the way through to winning their last game of the year. But it's kind of funny because I remember what was it just uh, three years ago when Jupiter won it all and it was the first public yeah. school team ever win one in Florida. And obviously now Ponte Vedra's won one. Now you're talking about yeah, I guess it's kind of funny to see. Like, it's the last two. Yeah, it's yeah. the last two winners were public schools. Yeah. It's the, and, uh, uh, that spread. I mean, it was for so many years when I started covering lacrosse in general. Is you, you you pen it in Lake Highland Prep or St. Andrews was going to hoist that trophy at the end of the year, and uh, we haven't had either one of those for a number of years now. So I mean, obviously the the sport has exploded over the last decade, um, but it really seems to have been taken off in probably like the last five to six years. Yeah, you know, a lot of people who would ask me about whether we should go public or private. Uh, as the breakdown of the two classes here. Well, in a way, you kind of did. <laughs> it's not exact, but when you look at how this is, all those teams that I mentioned in Class 2A, St. Thomas is the private school. I'm not sure if any of the others, well, Columbus is also uh, private, uh, but outside of that, almost all of these are public schools. And in the bottom half of the bracket, you look at uh, basically of the teams I mentioned, I think Bowles is a public. No, I'm sorry, Bowles is private. Um, Barron Collier and Gulf Breeze are the only two of the 16 in Class 1A that I thought would get out that are public schools. So in a way, we did go private. Public, not quite all the way, yeah. but it's played out that way. Yeah, and so uh, I, maybe we can kind of put that one to bed too. Yeah, and, you know, it's always that'll probably be a conversation will come up. You know, I guess it depends. Like, is it is one A become dominated by the private schools so the public schools feel like they can't don't have a stock? Because I mean, I mean, you look. I can't remember what the last one. I think boys Latin in Maryland. Uh, I think it's like three or four hundred kids. I could be wrong on that. It's been a number of years. But, I mean, obviously, if they played in a, the uh, state association playoffs, they'd be a 1A school. Um, yeah, that would be kind of unfair <laughs> if you put a boys' Latin or any of those MIA schools into a, a class 1A. So, But, you know, obviously, Maryland's a lot more mature when it comes to, to this sport and their playoff system than, than Florida is. So, I mean, that'll be interesting to see. I don't know if there's any other sport in Florida. Like, does any other sport separate their private schools? I don't think so. I think it's every other sport has gone basically by sides of the school, yeah. as far as I know. 
And yeah, but so what are up to class where they do six, up to six A in football now? Oh no, it's we're further. I, I think I think they introduced a nine A at some. Oh my god. Yeah. It's been a number of years since I covered football. I think it was six A last time I was covering football, so that's obviously grown quite a bit. Yep. And you know, I want to give a shout out to a kid that I just found out about last week. Uh this was absolutely astonishing to me because I had not heard of it. He had gotten a feature story in the Orlando newspaper. Uh, I guess right around his high school graduation time, uh, Edgewater High School in uh, in the Orlando area, not exactly uh, known for its lacrosse, but the class valedictorian last year was also the captain of the lacrosse team, and he was an immigrant from Ghana, and his name is Fred Asari Conado, if I'm pronouncing that. Well, he is at Harvard as a freshman this year and made the team as a walk-on. Wow. I'm working the story up. I've sent some questions up there, hoping to get the answers and a couple of quotes from Coach Byrne about this. But uh, just, you know, I, you know how you and I are when it comes to listening to people try to trash our sport at some, you know, preppy, upper-middle-class, privileged sport. Yeah. And how you know, annoyed we get with that sterile, uh, that just sterile opinion at this point. And, you know, Fred, boy, you deserve absolutely everything that comes your way right now. And let's hope you get on the field, get a little bit of playing time, too, keep your studies up. And it's a great story. And I hope by maybe the end of the week I'll have everything uh, back that I can uh, put the story up on. Just, uh, again, when we talk about how big the state is, it's easy for some things to slip through the cracks in this state, and this was one of them. I yeah. just wanted to give him props for what he's done. Yeah, and I think that's a great way to end. Like, I always like to end on a positive note. So, I mean, I think all the all the talk about playoffs, like, I think it's all it's all exciting. I think no matter what your, which side of the argument you're going to fall on, I mean, I think it's, it does create some excitement. Obviously, we're sitting here talking about playoffs, and the season really hasn't even started yet. So, it's always kind of exciting just to see how this stuff will shake out and just, you know, more teams, more players as the sport grows. Yes, there's going to be um, growing pains. I mean, that's unfortunately when, you know, lacrosse is it's not a young sport um, in terms of, you know, how long it's been played, but for a lot of states, like, this is still something relatively new. They're trying to wrap their head around and figure out, like, how it shakes out, and it's not as mature as sports like football and basketball. So, yeah, there's going to be growing pains, but I think, you know, it's just, it's a positive sign that, you know, one, the sport's growing and it's gaining enough popularity for us to even have a conversation that, you know, Florida and states like Indiana are, you know, all right, we're big enough now, we, we need to recognize that. So, I mean, I think no matter what side of the argument you, you fall on, I think, you know, we could all agree that the, the continued growth of the sport is a is a net positive. So, so true. And uh, just uh, some of our hashtags we use down here, you know, hashtag, Tag, take a friend to a game. I want to see population growth in the stands at these games. I mean, if you're a lacrosse fan at all, there are so many great high school games you can get out to and watch. It's not what uh, you might have envisioned from 10 or 15 years ago where uh, there's not a lot of competition. There's so much all around the state you can get out and have fun watching. A lot of high schools don't even charge for the admission. Yeah. Uh, you take them out. Uh, Take a friend to a game, get them involved, 
sweat if you're caught on film. And everybody's got a camera in their pocket. <laughs> That's right. You're warned. Be warned. <laughs> All right, Lee. Uh, before I let you go, let everybody know where they can find you online. Uh, Twitter, Florida, capital L, capital X, uh, on Facebook, F-L-A-L-A-X-N-E-W-S, uh, Florida Lacrosse News. And, uh, yes, Instagram. <laughs> <laughs> We're almost there. We're redesigning the home page, and uh, once we have that up, that'll include our long uh, struggle to get to Instagram. I do have a, uh, at least one intern this year, though, so we're going to have a couple of new uh, things that you know we're going to have a little bit of fun with this year that we don't have. And if I can figure out YouTube, uh, we're planning on doing some live broadcast there too. All right, well that's great, Lee, and I'll obviously, as usual, have links to everywhere you can find Lee. You know, Lee does a great job covering the sport um, in the state of Florida. So, Lee, thank you again um, for for being on and our our annual, you know, kind of team and layout of the state of Florida. <laughs> Mike, thanks for having me, and I always uh, encourage my readership to check out Mike's site, laxrecords.com. It's a nice uh, uh, place to be to find statistics, and uh, Mike's always been very good to us in Florida, so patronize him too. Yeah, and there's a lot of exciting. There's a few players that, uh, like, I was looking at, and obviously today I'm recording, you know, the podcast will come out next Sunday, so, like, uh, you know, if you're listening to this then, a week ago, like, I released uh, the kind of players and coaches kind of approaching milestones. And, I mean, Florida, like, I'm looking at, like, it's crazy to think, like, how many times the, the number one player in a certain category has changed over the last couple of years. And it's possible, like, the top two spots in Florida will change by the end of this year, depending on how things play out at uh, at uh, at Providence School and, and McClay. But, yeah, it's, it's – uh, it's going to be an interesting season. Like, there's a lot of stuff going on, I think. Down at uh, Coach Crowley at uh, St. Thomas Aquinas, like, he's approaching, I think, 450 wins. So, there's a lot of things to pay attention to in Florida this year. It's going to be an exciting year. Okay. We're going to definitely keep looking forward to it, Mike. All right. Thanks, Lee. You're welcome, Mike. Take care. Bye. Thank you for joining us this week on the Around the Crease podcast. Make sure to visit the website, laxrecords.com, where you can get even more news and stats on the top performers from around the nation. And while you're at it, if you found value in this show, I'd really appreciate a ratings on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, it would really help us out. If you like this show, you also may want to consider making a tax-deductible donation. You know, I volunteer all my time to work on the site and this podcast, so it really is your donations is what help keeps the site free and open to everyone. And... 100% of your donations go to improving the website. Check out laxrecords.com slash donate for all the details. Again, that's laxrecords.com slash donate. Everybody, have a week.